This podcast discusses cases in which a crime may have occurred. It's important to advise that all parties mentioned or generally referred to in this podcast are presumed innocent until proven guilty by law. Opinions expressed on this podcast don't necessarily reflect those of the podcast host, Murderish, or Cloud10 Media. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please stop here and listen to the previous episodes. All the twists and turns in this insane story will make a lot more sense if you start at the beginning. The last episode, episode four, was all about how Mary Carol McDonnell and her attorney, Barry Rothman, allegedly worked together to scam Bank of California out of nearly $15 million. And we found out that apparently this was not their first time pulling this hustle together. When Barry presented Mary Carroll as a wealthy heiress to Bank of California in late 2017, they had no reason to believe otherwise. Mary Carroll and Barry gave Bank of California legitimate looking documents from Northern Trust Bank that supported their claims. And the documents were complete with notarized signatures from Northern Trust official Mel Clark. At the time they were working to bring Mary Carroll in as a client, Bank of California was suffering from some negative press and slumping stock values, and really needed to bring in clients who'd maintain significant deposit accounts, because deposits are a necessary tool for banks to make loans and generate profits. Mary Carroll was the perfect client for big deposits, or so they thought. Ultimately, the bank approved a $15 million loan for Mary Carroll, which funded on February 2, 2018. Mary Carroll immediately began drawing down money on the loan, and by March 14th, she'd taken just over $14.6 million. Then, she missed her first scheduled payment on the loan and completely ghosted the bank, never responding to communications after it was discovered that she did not have any accounts with Northern Trust. In fact, there was no McDonald Family Trust anywhere. And it appeared that the Northern Trust signatures on the loan documents had been forged, which meant that Mary Carroll and Barry most likely made the entire story up. To top it all off, Barry unexpectedly died on the evening of March 9th, after a dental procedure earlier that day. As mentioned before, all of us at the bank thought there was a chance that Mary Carroll may have had something to do with Barry's death, because maybe he knew too much about the scam. And the bank's senior management team were fearful about what might happen next. So they hired guards to protect all of the entry points to our office. But it turned out that Barry died of natural causes. His death just happened to come at an extremely pivotal and coincidental point in this story. Something we didn't get to talk about in episode four was the fact that in the middle of all the lying and scheming leading up to the big money grab at Bank of California, Mary Carroll and Barry managed to find time to start a business together. On February 21st, just weeks after she began taking funds from the bank loan, 
Mary Carroll and Barry filed paperwork for BTV Productions, LLC. The business address was listed as 1901 Avenue of the Stars, number 370, the same address as Barry's law offices. Barry was noted as the agent for the company and Mary Carroll the organizer. It seemed likely that the B in BTV stood for Barry. This was probably his company. But on documents dated March 10th, the day after Barry died, Mary Carroll was listed as the manager and the business address was changed to the same address as Bellum Entertainment, 3900 West Alameda Avenue, number 800. It's unclear why Mary Carroll made this move, but maybe she was planning to use funds from the Bank of California loan to continue Bellum activities as BTV. She even started a second production company on March 20th, called 33 Media Inc., which also used Bellum's address. This was done after she defaulted on the Bank of California loan and stopped communicating with them. By this time, Bellum Entertainment was obliterated and the company name had been completely tarnished by Mary Carroll's antics. If she was going to continue any sort of business operations, Mary Carroll needed a new business name. And maybe that's exactly what she was doing by creating BTV Productions and 33 Media. On April 4th, Mary Carroll's name was replaced on 33 Media documents with the name Lawrence Weinberg, a well-known production attorney. He was listed as CEO, CFO, secretary, director, and agent for the company. However, on October 29th, Weinberg was removed from all of his positions and replaced by Mary Carroll's husband, Jeffrey Nillis. It seemed likely Mary Carroll was trying to continue running a production company, but without connections to her name or the Bellum name for obvious reasons. And maybe part of her motive was also to protect profits from being taken in lawsuits directed at her and Bellum. She may have been planning to move money to her new companies, decreasing what would be available to creditors coming after her and Bellum. Like most things with Mary Carroll, we may never know the real answer. Regardless, both companies, BTV Productions LLC and 33 Media Inc. are currently listed as suspended by the California Secretary of State and the Franchise Tax Board. The vast majority of people I've spoken with about Mary Carroll believe that after getting the money from Bank of California, she fled to Dubai. She allegedly went there in May of 2018 for business. She stated this in court documents and one source told me that Mary Carroll sent them an email in early to mid 2018 explaining that she was in Dubai on business. That said, Mary Carroll has not been seen or heard from since, with the exception of a few emails. And of course, Mary Carroll is a big fat liar, so to speak. So I remain very skeptical about her ever being in Dubai. In December of 2018, Mary Carroll was indicted on fraud and identity theft charges for her alleged part in the Bank of California scam. Since her disappearance, a lot of information has come to light. Obviously, 
the main thing is that Mary Carol McDonnell is not and never was an heiress. Aside from having the same last name and growing up in St. Louis, Missouri, the same city where the McDonnell Douglas Corporation had its headquarters, Mary Carol has absolutely no relation to the famous McDonnell family. Likewise, there is no family trust and no $80 million coming to Mary Carol. And she used these same lies to obtain loans from a bunch of other lenders, as well as from her own friends and colleagues throughout the years. It appears that Mary Carol would get loans or investments and make some payments toward the promissory notes, which led people to believe that she was good for the money. So they'd give her more money, and then she'd stop paying altogether. Then she'd get another loan or investment from someone else and pay off the previous loan or part of it and then repeat the whole cycle over and over and over. This type of scam is known as loan kiting or more often a Ponzi scheme. Whatever you want to call it, Mary Carroll was clearly an expert at it. If she wanted money, she could get it. When you break down each loan, each investment over the years, it's absolutely staggering how she managed to pull it all off and run a production company at the same time, at least for a while. The way I see it, Mary Carroll is Anna Delvey on steroids. From Murderish and Cloud 10 Media, this is Dirty Money Moves Women in White Collar Crime, a podcast that dives into one story told over several weekly episodes. In season one, I'm taking you along as I look into Mary Carol McDonald, a self-proclaimed heiress who seemed to have it all. Money, a successful business, expensive homes and cars. But all the lies, including the one about her being an heiress, were eventually exposed in a major way, bringing down her television production empire. But that was not the end of the story. This is episode five, Fast Cash and Dash. By March of 2003, Mary Carroll owned the house on Long Needle Drive in Montgomery, Alabama and the house on Sugarloaf Drive in La Cañada, California. She also claimed to own a condo in Westwood, California with her nephew. The total mortgages on those properties was about $4 million. A year later, she started her first production company, Midori Entertainment, followed by Long Needle Entertainment, Inc. a few months later. At the same time, she was still working for Raycom as their vice president of programming and she made good money doing it. Raycom was a large company and had channels all across the country. They had various professional dealings with other TV companies such as Barrington Broadcasting, Bounce TV, Sinclair Broadcasting, and local TV to name a few. Mary Carroll made a lot of professional connections throughout the course of her career. She was good at her job and she was well-respected 
If you recall from previous episodes, she'd even won two Emmys, which were related to local news broadcasts she'd produced. Many people were enamored with Mary Carroll and quite fond of her, even when things started to go south with their relationships later on. One person I spoke with who knew Mary Carroll said she was cutthroat, but clearly other people saw something special in her. In 2005, Mary Carroll started Longneedle Entertainment, LLC, followed by three other LLCs and then Longneedle Publishing in 2006. By 2007, though, it seems things started to go awry financially. We know Midori and Longneedle produced several TV shows during those first years, so maybe Mary Carroll fell behind quickly with production costs and all of her real estate obligations. It's difficult to say why or whether or not the money problem started before 2007, but that's the year we first see evidence of Mary Carroll using the fake McDonald family trust to entice people into handing over their money. Sometime that year, Mary Carroll approached James Arnold with a very special opportunity. James had worked for Sinclair Broadcasting and most likely got to know Mary Carroll through dealings with Raycom. Mary Carroll wasn't just his colleague, she was a trusted friend. She told James that, as her friend, he was eligible to take part in an opportunity to invest with her family trust. She told him that the investment would pay a very high rate of return, and James had no reason to doubt his friend. After all, he knew Mary Carroll to be a successful businesswoman, and she'd most likely represented herself as being related to the famous McDonald family too. According to a source, Mary Carroll had been telling that lie from at least the 1980s and probably much earlier. So it would be completely out of character for her to have skipped over that special detail with her friend James. On September 1st, 2007, James invested $100,000 with what he believed to be Mary Carroll's family trust in return for an 18% interest, which was to be paid within a year. If payment wasn't made by that date, an additional rate of 5% would be added to the repayment. Mary Carroll signed a promissory note which detailed those terms and stated that the note was secured by assets of the Mary McDonald Trust which included the Sugarloaf property in La Cañada. Conveniently, the note also had the option to roll over the principal and interest at the end of the year if both James and Mary Carroll agreed to do so. And wouldn't you know it, every time the note came due, Mary Carroll would give James a reason why the funds should be rolled over to the next year. She'd tell James that he should reap the benefits of the great interest rate by keeping his money right where it was, or that the real estate market was booming and he'd make more money by leaving his money in the trust. You know, the old adage, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The truth was that Mary Carroll had already spent James's money. Court documents would later suggest that among other things, she used his money to buy property or to give to other people or institutions in furtherance of her schemes. James would continue to invest more and more money 
over the next several years, having full trust in his friend, the heiress. On January 2, 2008, Mary Carroll established 1228 Media Group, Inc., a media consulting company. Remember from previous episodes, she was the sole person involved with this company. She was CEO, CFO, secretary, and president. 1228 Media is the entity that was described as being Mary Carroll's alter ego. It was alleged that she used this company's funds for personal use and that the separate personalities of 1228 Media and Mary Carroll did not exist. This could be where some of James's money went. It's definitely possible. By this time, Midori Entertainment and Longneedle Entertainment were creating and distributing TV shows that were seeing a lot of success and becoming nationally syndicated. Profits should have been flowing in at a steady pace. A few months after 1228 Media was formed, on March 31, 2008, James Arnold invested another $100,000 into what he continued to believe was Mary Carroll's family trust. This time, he was promised a return of 20% interest. A year later, on April 1, 2009, he invested another $25,000, and then, later that month, another $100,000. In May of 2009, Mary Carroll established 1525 Entertainment LLC, adding to the ever-increasing list of companies she controlled. According to Brian Testa, a former employee at Bellum, Mary Carroll may have been using all of her various LLCs as another form of a Ponzi scheme. Testa surmised that Mary Carroll would get money from a loan or some other money source to create a certain number of episodes of a TV show under a specific LLC. Then, she'd never deliver the shows. She would just create a new LLC to keep from having to pay anyone back for the previous LLC's unfinished work, and then do it all over again, like a TV production Ponzi scheme. In March and April of 2010, James Arnold made additional investments totaling $325,000 into Mary Carroll's family trust. It seems like James, unbeknownst to him, was single-handedly funding Mary Carroll's productions or her lavish personal life. Remember, at some point, she bought a fancy boat and was already driving a Porsche. Plus, her home mortgage loans were ever increasing. Soon, however, the money coming in from James wouldn't be enough for Mary Carroll. On January 31, 2012, Mary Carroll started her flagship company, Bellum Entertainment, followed by four other LLCs that same year, including McDonnell Bellum Holdings, Bellum pumped out show after show that year, most notably a two-show series called Unsealed Alien Files and Unsealed Conspiracy Files, both of which were nationally syndicated.
According to Kevin Berry, a writer and producer who worked for Bellum between 2015 and 2017, this series was distributed by Tribune Entertainment, a huge distribution company in the TV business. Apparently, the series collapsed and the distribution company, as well as all of the vendors, were stiffed by Mary Carroll. And it was a big deal. And this was well before the 2016 labor complaints and allegations of non-payment by her employees. Clearly, things started breaking down for Mary Carroll much sooner than we first thought. After this break, Mary Carroll is going to leave the long driveway of her lavish home in a Porsche and pull up to a fast cash lender over and over again. Because apparently, the heiress is broke as fuck. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life can be overwhelming. Take it from the heiress. It wasn't easy hustling her friends and others out of millions of dollars. She was probably burned out, but not enough to stop scamming, of course. When I'm burned out, I lose motivation to be productive, and overall, I just feel tired when I shouldn't be. BetterHelp Online Therapy is here to remind all of us to prioritize ourselves, but not in Mary Carroll fashion, where you literally lie and cheat because you only think of yourself. No, BetterHelp encourages you to talk to someone when you're feeling overwhelmed, stressed, depressed, or struggling in any way, because talking to someone can make you feel better. And that's what prioritizing yourself is all about. And you can trust me on that because I'm not an heiress and I don't slang gifting programs to my wealthy friends. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Dirty Money Moves listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash dirty money. That's betterhelp.com slash dirty money. Two thousand thirteen saw the production of more TV shows and the startup of five more LLCs. It was very common for Mary Carroll to start a new LLC for each show she produced. One show, for example, called Zoo Clues, had a corresponding LLC called Zoo Clues. Listed as the agent of service on the documents for that LLC was a lawyer named Robert Christopher Chatham. Robert, who went by Chris, had become good friends with Mary Carroll after working as her lawyer for many years. Sometime in 2013, Mary Carroll began telling Chris about a gifting program offered by her family trust. Like she did with James Arnold, Mary Carroll promised Chris huge returns on any money he contributed to the gifting program, which was backed by the assets of the family trust. And just like James, Chris trusted Mary Carroll because they were friends and colleagues. On July 31, 2013, Chris invested $300,000 with Mary Carroll. 
which was to be returned six months later. And then he invested another $200,000 on October 10th, which was to be returned in a year. It appears that Mary Carroll did make those payments back to Chris. Around that same time, Bellum seemed to be doing so well that in November, Raycom joined forces with Bellum in an entertainment production company called BR Holding Company, LLC. The company produced two TV shows, Fix It and Finish It and Flip My Food with Chef Jeff, both of which were popular. One month after forming BR Holding Company, Mary Carroll took out a loan with SunTrust Bank for an unknown amount. We know this because SunTrust filed a UCC financing statement with the California Secretary of State in December of 2013. Also called a UCC-1, the filing is used by lenders to announce their rights to personal property or assets of their customer in the event of a default. It's impossible to know for sure, but Mary Carroll could have used this loan to pay Chris Chatham back with interest for his first two investments. It would have made it seem like the gifting program was legit, which no doubt would get Chris to keep investing. January 2014 started off with the formation of yet another LLC, followed by three more throughout the year. In case you're trying to keep track of all of Mary Carroll's companies, starting with Triumph Communications LLC in 1997, which we talked about in Episode 1, by November of 2014, the formation of Mary Carroll's 26th LLC or incorporation occurred with Bellum South LLC, located in Louisiana. On August 4th, Chris Chatham invested another $200,000 into Mary Carroll's family gifting program, which seemed to be paying off for him. On August 13th, Mary Carroll's company, 1228 Media, entered into a $300,000 loan with Creative Commercial Funding, or CCF. The promissory note stated that 1228 Media would repay the loan by October 12th only two months later. However, Mary Carroll was unable to pay the loan back by that date, so she requested an extension. This happened numerous times over the course of three years. CCF allowed Mary Carroll to make regular payments on the loan, which she did until all payments stopped after April 3, 2017. One month after getting the loan from Creative Commercial Funding, Mary Carroll was given another investment from Chris in the amount of $300,000. Not to mention, sometime that year, she was also given a $50,000 investment from James Arnold. So why did Mary Carroll have trouble making payments to Creative Commercial Funding when she had all of those investments rolling in? Where exactly was all of this money going? It's possible that she was spending it on Bellum projects, but it's equally possible that she was just getting greedy and spending lavishly on herself. Toward the end of 2014, Mary Carroll approached Pacific Business Capital Corporation, or PBCC, for a short-term bridge loan. 
She claimed it was to pay certain production costs on Bellum projects and to pay off her loan with SunTrust from 2013. She told PBCC that she only needed a six-month loan because she would soon have money from the proceeds of a sale of an equity interest in the Bellum companies to a multinational corporation, a deal that was already in negotiations, and she would also be getting cash distributions starting in June of 2015 from her interests in a family trust started by her parents. Mary Carroll provided PBCC with documents to prove her worth, including a personal financial statement that certified her net worth to be over $56 million. In addition, her estate planning attorney, D. Matthew Richardson, from the Shepard Mullen Richter and Hampton Law Firm, sent PBCC a letter confirming the value of her trust distributions. We talked about this letter in the last episode. Basically, Richardson said that Mary Carroll's portion of the $400 million McDonald Family Trust would be $80 million, and that records could not be divulged due to a court order that was obtained by her father after Holly McDonald was kidnapped for ransom and murdered, which we know is 100% untrue. Based on this letter and other documents submitted by Mary Carroll, PBCC gave her a $1.5 million loan, wiring funds directly to 1228 Media at Mary Carroll's request. As part of the loan requirements, Mary Carroll deeded the Sugarloaf home to PBCC. Right around this time, James Arnold started asking Mary Carroll to pay him the principal and interest on his investments. He no longer wished to roll them over. The total due to James was just over $1 million. Mary Carroll acknowledged the amount she owed him and then she never paid James anything. On January 8, 2015, PBCC advanced Mary Carroll an additional $500,000 which was wired directly to 1228 Media. A week later, they advanced her another $500,000, again to 1228 Media, and then another $250,000 on January 30th. PBCC told Mary Carroll there would be no further advances now that her total loan amount was $2.75 million. They were starting to question where all the money was going and getting concerned that repayment would be an issue. Part of the loan agreement for the final $250,000 advance was that neither Mary Carroll nor any of her companies was allowed to incur any further debt or the loan would be considered in default. Two months after getting an additional $1.25 million from PBCC, Mary Carroll emailed Chris Chatham to solicit more investments from him. What Mary Carroll lacked in ethics and integrity, she made up for in boldness and greed. Chris explained to Mary Carroll that he had other obligations and was really concerned about investing more money. He needed to put funds toward his home and the purchase of a commercial property. But Mary Carroll practically begged him for the money, saying, 
I know you are putting monies towards your house, but they are offering a 20% per month coupon, but only for 30 or 60 days. This will be the last hurrah. It is really awesome if you can swing it. She even asked Chris to solicit his own family members for money. On March 25th, Chris invested another $300,000, only to have Mary Carroll hit him up again six days later. On March 31st, she sent him an email saying the trust would match any investment he made, and if he needed verification on the value of the trust, just to let her know. The next day, Chris did request verification and Mary Carroll sent him the same letter from Richardson that she used for the PBCC loan. Relying on the claims in that letter, Chris made two additional investments totaling $400,000, one on April 3rd and the other on June 4th. Unbelievably, by May 1st, even though she had all of this money from Chris, Mary Carroll defaulted on the PBCC loan. Then, in July, Chris made two additional investments of $200,000 each. By this point, Mary Carroll had received, either from loans or investments, $6.15 million, plus whatever amount the SunTrust loan was for. She had paid off the SunTrust loan with the PBCC loan, was making payments on the Creative Commercial Funding loan, defaulted on the PBCC loan, and had not paid James Arnold anything, despite his repeated requests. Are you guys dizzy yet? Because I know I am. If you thought things were out of control already, buckle up because Mary Carroll's got a lead foot and she's about to accelerate her hustle. On August 5, 2015, Mary Carroll got a $5 million loan from Fundamental Funding. It appears that she actually did make some payments on that loan. The next month, Mary Carroll started another LLC, Bellum South Sea in Louisiana. In about a year though, many employees from Bellum South Sea, along with the other Bellum entities, would be filing complaints with the Department of Labor for payroll issues. But for now, Mary Carroll was content to keep racking up loans as long as she was able to get them. On October 13th, she entered into a loan with Comerica Bank for over $642,000. In January of 2016, Mary Carroll hit up another one of her colleagues, Ted Kuhlman, to invest in her family trust. Ted had worked for Local TV, one of the companies Mary Carroll dealt with while working for Raycom. In several emails and phone calls, she told Ted and his wife Carrie that the trust was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. On January 25th, the Kuhlmans sent an initial wire of $30,000. They wanted more information before investing further. So, Mary Carroll emailed them the same letter from D. Matthew Richardson that she used several times before, also known as the Shepard Mullen letter. 
Only this time, Mary Carroll made everything sound much more cryptic. She told the Coolmans not to forward the email to anyone because the letter from Shepard Mullen was highly confidential. So confidential, in fact, that she instructed them to read the letter and then destroy it, as if they were part of some dangerous spy mission. In reality, Mary Carroll probably just wanted to limit the number of people who saw the bogus letter so she wouldn't be found out. The Coolman sent Mary Carroll a wire of $2.47 million to be repaid with interest by September 16, 2016. Cha-ching. Right around that same time, Mary Carroll was also soliciting the Credit Junction, or TCJ, and Lift Forward Inc. for a loan. She claimed the loan would finance her various TV production companies and help pay off outstanding debts. And we all know she had a lot of outstanding debt. Mary Carroll told TCJ that she'd pay off the loan with cash distributions she was set to receive from the McDonald Family Trust, as well as the sale of equity interest in her production companies. And just like she'd done so many times before, she forwarded the Shepard Mullen letter to TCJ on March 3, 2016. She also submitted a personal financial statement representing that she was worth over $39 million and that her company, Bellum Entertainment, had an account at Northern Trust Bank that was set up for all of her business deposits. On March 15th, Mary Carroll entered into a loan for $3 million with Lift Forward Inc., who was the predecessor in interest to TCJ. Then, an agreement was made, executed by Mel Clark, Senior Managing Director at Northern Trust, giving TCJ a security interest in the Northern Trust account as collateral for the loan. Mary Carroll's lawyer for this transaction was none other than Barry Rothman. TCJ took over the loan from Lyft Forward on March 18th. Clark's name should sound familiar because it was his signature that was allegedly forged by Mary Carroll on documents for the $15 million loan from Bank of California. In fact, the TCJ loan is basically the template she and Barry followed in order to get the much larger loan with Bank of California just a year and a half later. And the reason that Bank of California later alleged that Mel Clark at Northern Trust had to be involved in the fraud against them. The $3 million TCJ loan paid off what was left of the fundamental funding loan from 2015. As part of the TCJ loan requirements, Mary Carroll was permitted to carry the debt from her loan with Comerica from October of 2015. However, she had to make a payment of over $642,000 to that loan on April 30th, 2016, and then monthly payments of $75,000 until the loan was paid off in full. But she was not permitted to accrue any other debt or cause the value of the trust to drop in any way. I guess TCJ didn't realize that Mary Carroll had a ton of other debt besides the Comerica loan. A few days after getting the $3 million, 
Mary Carroll requested an additional $2 million from TCJ. Unbelievably, they gave her the money in three separate transactions between March and May of 2016. It's absolutely crazy to think about how this was also around the time that Bellum employees began making complaints to the Department of Labor regarding non-payment of wages and being misclassified as independent contractors. Mary Carroll should have had plenty of money to pay her employees. What the hell was she doing with funds from these multi-million dollar loans if not paying her employees? Also in May, Mary Carroll relentlessly pursued more investments from Chris Chatham, even though she had not been making payments to him for a few months. She told him that the trust was about to close out and that this was the final opportunity for him to get a 30% return. On May 9th, Chris invested another $200,000 into Mary Carroll's gifting program with the guarantee that it would be repaid by June 10th. So as to avoid jeopardizing the multi-million dollar loan he was trying to get for a commercial property. However, Mary Carroll failed to make the payment to Chris, causing him to lose the commercial loan. She blamed the delay on a sick trust officer, and then she claimed that the officer had died, further delaying the payment. Still, Mary Carroll promised Chris that she would get current on the payments with extra interest added for his troubles. On July 6th, however, Mary Carroll claimed that she couldn't make a payment because her brother was ill and that he was a trustee of the account. Two days later, Chris sent Mary Carroll a notice of default. Then, Chris and Mary Carroll's attorneys went back and forth for a month, trying to come up with a payment agreement to keep the matter out of court. They finally agreed on a payment plan, but then, Mary Carroll failed to make any payments to Chris, claiming that her brother had died. And this was just another lie. Her brother Richard died in 2014, two years earlier. But that fact didn't stop Mary Carroll from using the same excuse with the Coolmans when the note came due for their investment on September 26th. She asked the Coolmans for another year to pay the note, promising to throw in an extra interest payment of $750,000 immediately. The Coolmans agreed to the extension, but of course, Mary Carroll did not hold up her end of the deal. The Coolmans never saw that $750,000. Mary Carroll should have had more than enough money to pay the Coolmans, especially since TCJ had advanced her an additional $3.18 million between September 19th and December 13th. Meanwhile, as Mary Carroll and Chris Chatham argued back and forth about payments at the end of 2016, James Arnold was also adamantly demanding to be paid what he was owed. It had been several years since Mary Carroll left him high and dry. She assured James that his money was all there and safe, and that there were only some procedural hiccups that had to be resolved before he could be paid. She then gave him excuse after excuse. There were issues with the bank. She was in the hospital. She had an accident. The excuses were so frequent and far-fetched 
that they didn't even make sense anymore. But the Coolmans continued to give Mary Carol more time. Twenty seventeen started off with Chris Chatham sending another notice of default to Mary Carol. She and her lawyer acknowledged the default, and then Mary Carol told him that she was changing lawyers and someone would call him. But, of course, nobody ever contacted Chris. But he gave Mary Carol every chance to make things right. Chris waited six months before filing a demand for arbitration. Did Mary Carol really believe that ignoring everything would just somehow make it all go away? Probably not. It seems more likely that she just didn't care. She continued on, finding more places to get money. Sometime in January, Mary Carol entered into a loan with First Global Capital for an unknown amount, even though she'd gotten $3.18 million from TCJ only a month earlier. There aren't any details for the First Global Capital loan, but it's safe to assume that Mary Carol used the heiress bit and offered the Shepard Mullen letter as proof of her wealth. Between January 24th and April 6th, Mary Carroll got lucky again because TCJ allowed her to take an additional $1.5 million. Again, for those of you keeping a running total of all of these loans and investments since 2007, Mary Carroll was given at least $24 million $525,000. And that doesn't include the unknown loan amounts from SunTrust and First Global. Mary Carroll's hustle is as impressive as it is disgusting. Next up on the scam list was Yellowstone Capital West, LLC. On March 3rd, Yellowstone entered into a merchant agreement with Mary Carroll, an agreement that was based on the sale of future receivables. It's an alternative to getting traditional financing from a bank or credit union. Traditional loans take a while to underwrite, and they're harder to get approved for. The sale of future receivables is a way to obtain immediate cash, often in just a couple of days. It's high-risk financing, so the rates are usually much higher than a traditional loan. Yellowstone purchased $100,000 of future receivables from Mary Carroll to be repaid at $145,900. I'm baffled by the fact that Mary Carroll was so hard up for cash at this point, after getting tens of millions of dollars, that she needed to enter into a lopsided deal like that. Whatever the reason, she continued to enter into these kinds of transactions to get fast cash, literally. On March 20th, Mary Carroll entered into a merchant agreement with reliable fast cash for $300,000 to be repaid at $441,000. As part of the deal, reliable fast cash had Mary Carroll sign a confession of judgment which laid out terms of repayment and penalties in the event of a default. The money was wired directly into the Comerica Bank account for 1228 Media. Every transaction she entered into with reliable fast cash in the future would also include a separate confession of judgment. Three days later, 
Mary Carroll returned to Reliable Fast Cash for another $110,000, and again the following day for another $110,000. Just imagine this rich TV executive approaching retirement age driving down the long driveway of her lavish house in a Porsche and pulling up to a fast cash joint to get money. It's just wild. On March 28th, Reliable Fast Cash did two transactions with Mary Carroll, totaling $440,000. Then, a week later, Mary Carroll returned, probably in her Porsche, for another $110,000, and on April 21st, for another $330,000. An account was set up for Mary Carroll to deposit money into so that Reliable Fast Cash could withdraw its payments on a daily basis. Mary Carroll didn't always make the required deposits, so, of course, she defaulted on the merchant agreements. By this time, Mary Carroll had also stopped making payments on the Creative Commercial Funding Loan from 2014, and by May, she was in default on that loan, too. After this break, one lender finally pumps the brakes on Mary Carroll's request for more money. But the heiress is unshakable. She keeps hustling because the word no never gets in the way of Mary Carroll and her coin. In May of 2017, while in default on more than one loan, Mary Carroll entered into another loan with Prestige Capital Corporation. There are no details on this loan, and the amount of the loan is not known. On May 4th, Yes Funding Services, LLC, entered into a loan agreement with Mary Carroll for a measly $74,950, chump change compared to what she was getting from other lenders. She made regular payments on the loan until August, when she stopped paying and defaulted. I think I may have set a Guinness World Record for the number of times I've said the word defaulted during a single podcast episode. Anyway, on May 6th, Mary Carroll got another $220,000 from Reliable Fast Cash. And as if she hadn't gotten her hands on enough cash by this time, on May 28th, Mary Carroll solicited Kirk and Alice Cannoli for an investment into her family trust. Kirk was, and still is, a partner at DCI Solutions, Inc., a company near San Diego, California, that specializes in helping businesses to maximize profits. Alice Cannoli worked at Hope Financial and was also a children's pastor at a church. They invested $250,000 into Mary Carroll's family trust, which was wired directly to Comerica Bank. They were also promised a guaranteed interest payment of $50,000 to be repaid by July 1st, along with the principal amount. The promissory note added that if Mary Carroll defaulted, she would have to pay $1,500 per day in late payments until the note was paid off. That seems like an excessive penalty to agree to, but then again, the heiress probably had no intentions of ever following the terms of the promissory note. Mary Carroll only cared about getting the money, and of course, she never paid any payments to Kirk or Alice. 
During the same time that Mary Carroll solicited Kirk and Alice for funds, she also got a loan from Versant Funding. There aren't any details for this loan, only a UCC1 filing to prove she got it. In the middle of all of this money grabbing, on May 12, 2017, Pacific Business Capital Corporation filed their lawsuit against Mary Carroll for breach of contract. By June of 2017, Bellum had stopped paying many of its vendors for their services. IT and computer services, as well as production partners, all went unpaid. One such partner, ColorTime LLC, was a post-production business that provided their services to Bellum. They had invoiced Bellum for several months of work for a total of over $187,000, but Bellum never paid them. Oddly, when Mary Carroll approached ColorTime on June 6th and asked them to make a $25,000 credit card payment on Bellum's behalf, they did it. In exchange for the credit card payment, Mary Carroll agreed to pay back the full amount she owed them, plus $5,000, within 10 days. And you guessed it, no payment was ever made to Color Time. On June 9th, Ironwood Finance entered into a merchant agreement with Mary Carroll and Bellum, giving her $74,950, the exact amount she borrowed from Yes Funding just one month earlier. She used some of that money to pay the YES funding loan, but she didn't pay it off completely. Again, borrowing from Peter to pay Paul, but not fully. Instead, Mary Carroll chose to default on the YES funding agreement. Then, on June 26th, in another merchant agreement with Mary Carroll, Reliable Fast Cash gave her $330,000. Also around this time, Though she had already completely stiffed him on over a million dollars, James Arnold agreed to make a $15,000 credit card payment for Mary Carroll. Perhaps he was trying to see the good in her, believing that this time would be different, only it wasn't. Chris Chatham also filed for arbitration around this time and was granted an interim award on June 30, 2017. A final arbitration award was given to Chris on August 18th. Mary Carroll was ordered to pay him about $3.1 million for damages, late fees, and attorney fees. The summer of 2017 was also the time that CBS Channel News was conducting their investigation of Bellum Entertainment. In a few short months, they would out Bellum and Mary Carroll on national television for not paying employees. They aired photos of emails from Mary Carroll to Bellum employees stating that Bellum had been the victim of bank fraud. Clearly, this was a lie. The only bank fraud happening at this time was being perpetrated by Mary Carroll. Channel 2 also exposed the pending Pacific Business Capital Corporation lawsuit, as well as Chris Chatham's arbitration award. Mary Carroll and Bellum Entertainment were nearly finished. By the end of 2017, the company would cease operations and Mary Carroll would claim to be insolvent. Between March and May of 2017, 
Mary Carroll and Mel Clark from Northern Trust sent repeated written assurances to the credit junction that she was an heiress and would soon be getting $80 million. By July, Mary Carroll and her various companies had borrowed almost $10 million from TCJ, but it wasn't enough. She continued to ask TCJ for more cash, sending written promises that she had enough personal wealth to repay everything she owed and then some, especially since she was about to get disbursements from the family trust. Mary Carroll wrote to TCJ, I would love an additional $2 million, which I can pay back easily with a trust distribution because it is uncommitted. Amazingly, all the begging worked. On July 21st, TCJ advanced a short-term loan of $374,000 to Mary Carroll, due to be repaid in one month. And at that time, she faced three upcoming payment deadlines on her previous TCJ loans, $1.374 million due on August 21st, $3.188 million due September 29th, and $5.5 million due on March 15th of 2018. A few days after receiving the $374,000, Mary Carroll asked TCJ for another $3 million in order to keep her business afloat while she allegedly worked out the sale of Bellum. TCJ finally pumped the brakes and declined to give Mary Carroll the money. In between getting the $374,000 from TCJ and asking them for an additional $3 million, Mary Carroll had gotten over a half a million dollars from reliable fast cash. And yet she was still begging TCJ for more money. Absolutely unbelievable. Even though TCJ declined to give her the money, the phony heiress kept pushing. With the help of Mel Clark at Northern Trust, Mary Carroll submitted a letter to TCJ stating that the family trust had lots of funds at Northern Trust and that the bank was willing to put some of those funds into a separate account just for TCJ. Mary Carroll was looking to secure a $3 million loan. Mel Clark, on behalf of Northern Trust, wrote a guarantee letter to TCJ on July 27th, stating that Northern Trust agreed to move $5 million to a separate account and maintain the balance for TCJ as a fallback plan for their loan, should they decide to give it to Mary Carroll. And for her part, Mary Carroll kept calling and emailing TCJ to see if they had gotten the guarantee letter from Northern Trust and she even offered to get Mel Clark on the phone. Unfortunately, Northern Trust's guarantee was enough for TCJ, and they loaned Mary Carroll an additional $1.515 million, which they dispersed in two separate bridge loans in early August of 2017. These loans were due to be repaid by August 11th. Here we go with the same old story like a broken record, August 11th came and went without any payment for Mary Carroll. But this time, Northern Trust, a huge well-known bank, was also in default as guarantors on the TCJ loan. 
they had failed to pay TCJ the $5 million that was supposedly held in a separate account specifically for this purpose. TCJ would later find out that at the time Northern Trust wrote the guarantee letter, there was no family trust account or any account held by Mary Carroll or Bellum at Northern Trust. On August 29, 2017, a Liz Pendens appeared on the records for the Sugarloaf property. If you recall from Episode 2, a Liz Pendens is a legal term meaning that there was pending litigation involving the property. Pacific Business Capital Corporation had filed their lawsuit against Mary Carroll, and they also held the deed to the property as part of her loan agreement. Soon, they would foreclose on the house and sell it. On October 10th, a list pendants also appeared on records for the Long Needle property. This home would also be foreclosed on and sold by November of 2018. Which brings us to the Bank of California loan in February of 2018. We covered this loan in detail in the previous episode. The main points were that Mary Carroll and her lawyer, Barry Rothman, used fraudulent means to get a $15 million loan from Bank of California. Mary Carroll took $14.6 million of that loan by March 14th, and then she disappeared. Remember how she paid $5 million to TCJ in two separate payments right after she got the cash from Bank of California? Well, that was due to an agreement between TCJ and Mary Carroll arranged by Barry Rothman. She was supposed to pay off the entire $11.5 million she owed to TCJ in three payments. The final payment of $8.6 million was due on March 15th. TCJ only made this agreement with Mary Carroll based on a letter they received on January 25th of 2018, right before the Bank of California loan funded. That letter was from someone claiming to be the administrator of the McDonnell Family Trust, a woman named Nancy Shinbaum. Nancy lived in Montgomery, Alabama, the same city where Mary Carroll lived while working for Raycom, and the same city where her Long Needle property was located. The letter stated that Nancy was responsible for distributing money from the Family Trust, and that distributions would begin in February of 2018. Nancy went on to say that the first $10.5 million of the trust disbursements would be wired to TCJ, along with a special Louisiana tax credit of $500,000, which would resolve Bellum's outstanding debt with the company. This letter was notarized and it appeared legit. It even had fancy letterhead that said, the McDonnell Family Irrevocable Trust of 1964. And just when I thought I'd heard it all with this case, our research uncovered something that shocked me. Court documents filed by TCJ allege that Nancy was paid nearly $80,000 to write this fake letter. She was not a trust administrator, and we know now that there was no trust to speak of. Nancy was allegedly paid the $80,000 by Mary Carroll from accounts at Northern Trust and other banks. What's crazy about this is that we know Mary Carroll did not have any accounts at Northern Trust. 
While something definitely seems hinky about this, we don't know for certain whether Northern Trust did in fact help Mary Carroll to defraud TCJ. We're left to draw our own conclusions on that. Mary Carroll never made that third and final payment of $8.6 million to TCJ. However, she did contact TCJ to promise that she would repay the funds from a line of credit drawn on another financial institution. But, true to Mary Carroll form, she refused to tell TCJ the source of the funds, preventing them from verifying her story. She also supposedly contacted TCJ from Dubai, promising to make payments on her outstanding debts from an unknown foreign source. On February 5, 2018, after getting some of the Bank of California loan proceeds, Mary Carroll wired Ted Kuhlman $250,000 with a promise that the rest of the nearly $2 million debt would be paid in full by the end of the month. Of course, it wasn't, and on March 20th, the same day she established 33 Media Inc., Mary Carroll emailed the Kuhlmans to tell them that payment was delayed. This time, it was due to the death of her lawyer, Barry Rothman, who, according to her, held all of the funds in his trust account. Mary Carroll gave the Kuhlmans excuse after excuse as to why the payment could not be made, and no further payments were made in 2018. In July of 2018, after Mary Carroll was supposedly in Dubai, it appears that she took out another loan, this time with First West Capital, for an unknown amount. The only evidence of this loan is the UCC-1 that One West filed that month. Also, while she was allegedly abroad in January and April of 2019, Mary Carroll wired the Kuhlmans a total of $30,000. That brought the total amount that she had paid back on their investments to $280,000. It would be her final payment to them, even though she owed the Kuhlmans more than $3 million with interest and late fees. Mary Carroll continued sending emails to the Kuhlmans in April and May of 2020, telling them that she was about to get a date for the final distribution of her family trust. But of course, that date would never come. I have to wonder why Mary Carroll would keep stringing the Kuhlmans along when she had no intention of ever paying them. But, then again, this woman hand-delivered us homemade pies with a smile on her face as she scammed the bank out of millions of dollars. I guess nothing is beyond Mary Carroll, and given everything we've learned, nothing should surprise me anymore. All in all, the total amount of money obtained by Mary Carroll, either as herself, as an executive of Bellum or any of her other companies, or as an heiress, is well over $44 million. And it's entirely possible that there are more loans and more investments out there that we haven't uncovered. I don't know how she managed to keep it all going for so many years and produce as many TV shows as Bellum did. 
especially when the millions of dollars she scammed didn't seem to be put back into her businesses, or at least not much of it. And we didn't even talk about the tens of thousands of dollars that Mary Carroll owes to her employees and vendors for unpaid wages. People are really pissed off, and rightfully so. Mary Carroll's greed has robbed many of her ex-employees and vendors of financial freedom and worse. She's downright ruined some people financially. Some of these people have dedicated a website and Facebook pages to spreading the word about Mary Carroll and the crooked way she operates, hoping to keep other people from falling victim to her lies. Many people have stood up and fought for what they are owed and continue to do so by filing lawsuits against Mary Carroll. I imagine that while they do want the money that's owed to them, many of these people also want to stand face to face with this woman and make her understand the damage that she's caused, maybe even deliver a few choice words. So far, they have not had this opportunity because Mary Carroll has never shown up for court in these matters. And what about Karen Garber, the CFO at Bellum, and other members of management at Bellum Entertainment, who many people insist must have played a role in some of this financial mess? Next time on Dirty Money Moves Women in White Collar Crime, the lawsuits come flooding in and the millions of dollars in judgments against Mary Carroll start to pile up. Plus, a New York court determined that Mary Carroll stooped even lower than we ever thought possible. If you know of a case involving a woman who committed white-collar crimes or scams, we want to hear about it, and maybe we'll cover it on the podcast. Let us know at Murderish.com or send us a DM on Instagram at Dirty Money Moves. Also, if you have information to share regarding our current case involving Mary Carol McDonald, please reach out to us in the ways I mentioned earlier. Dirty Money Moves is a collaboration between Murderish and Cloud10 Media. Executive producers are myself, Jamie Rice, and Sim Sarna. Research and writing is done by Gina Mazzolini. Matt Provenzano does the audio mixing and editing. Josh Cook composed the music. Brian Stefanik created the podcast cover art, and the podcast is co-produced by Cloud10 Media. Follow us at Dirty Money Moves on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And if you like the show, please do us the biggest favor by reviewing the podcast and leaving us five stars at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now, because even four stars is not good enough for the heiress. If you're into true crime content, check out my other podcast, Murderish. A list of sources used for this episode is available at Murderish.com. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week for a brand new episode.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.